Have a seat. Thinking about uh, unity this morning and the church being a united uh, body, and that's because this week has been the week of prayer for Christian unity. It's a week that comes around um, every year when uh, churches, different denominations, different styles, um, join together in praying for the same thing, and that's that we might be more united in our witness together and in our our mission and service uh, together. So that's our theme uh, for today. I'm going to read uh, where Jesus prays for unity. And this is from uh, John's Gospel. It's John uh, chapter 17. And if you're following on the, in the Bible, it's on page 1085. I'm going to start reading at verse 13. <clears throat> so Jesus is in the midst of prayer. And he's praying to God uh, the Father. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent them into the world, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Amen. to think this morning about uh, three reasons why uh, unity is important and three features of unity. But don't worry, they're not, they're not uh, massive great points. Three reasons why unity is important and three features um, of church unity. The first reason that unity is important is that re- unity, uh, church unity, is rooted in the very nature of God. God has revealed himself to be a God of uh, three persons, uh, united in love. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, eternal and equally divine in nature, uh, differing only in their relationship to one another. The Father is eternally a Father to the Son. The Son is eternally a Son to the Father. And uh, the Holy Spirit is eternally the bond of uh, love which encompasses them and uh, surrounds them and joins them together. Throughout the scriptures we see uh, God acting as this trinity, this tri-unity. And all his acts are acts of love. 
At the beginning of the Bible, we see uh, the creation story in Genesis. And God the Father calls all of creation into being. It says that through his word, everything is made. And then we discover that the, that word, that word is the second person of the Trinity. The one who will take on flesh and become Jesus of Nazareth. The word spoken is the second uh, person, eternally spoken uh, from the Father. And in uh, the Genesis account, we hear that uh, the Holy Spirit hovers over the waters of creation. He is there too, uh, creating, sustaining, upholding, uh, blessing. In God's mission, his mission of love, uh, the Son is sent by the Father. The Father commands the Son to come and the Son uh, willingly embraces that command. Born in a stable in Bethlehem. He'll spend uh, years uh, preaching and teaching and healing. At his uh, commissioning, his baptism, uh, a voice is heard from heaven, the voice of the Father This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And we read that the Holy Spirit comes and lands upon him. Everything that Jesus does, he says he does because he sees the Father doing it. He knows it's his Father's will. And yet at the same time, he says he does them by the power of the Holy Spirit. The son will die and be raised to life at the command of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, acting together in unity. Unity of purpose, unity of grace, unity of love. And Jesus prays, just as you and I, Father, are one, may they be one, meaning his disciples, and then meaning those who will come to faith through the testimony of those disciples. You and I, uh, the church. Use is important because it's uh, rooted in the very nature of God. God is three in one, yet not divided. And if that wasn't enough, unity is important because Jesus prays for unity. Verse 23 May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Leslie Newbegin was a a bishop um, in the 20th century, a great missionary statesman. Uh, He was a missionary in uh, India, Hindu country. And uh, in Hinduism, there are many, many gods, a pantheon of gods. And his his mission work was uh, preaching and teaching that there is but one true God, uh, creator of all things. And he was doing that as an Anglican, And next door, a Presbyterian was doing that. And next door, a Methodist was doing that. And next door, a Pentecostal was doing that. And the Hindu uh, listeners said, are you you guys, are you all talking about the same God? Or are you talking about different gods? Are you talking about an Anglican God, a Presbyterian God, a Christian God, Jesus, a Methodist? What are you talking about? And uh, he realized that this was was a scandal. This was something that people just could not um, understand. 
And in the, the, the 20th century, those churches came together to form what became known as the Uniting Church of South India, now just known as the Church of South India. Uh, those different denominations joined together, joined together, uh, accepted one another as uh, partners, and then became one in a full sort of organic, organisational uh, unity. So this, uh, this theme of uh, unity is really important uh, to Leslie Newbegin. He would often preach on this passage, John uh, 17. And he would say, this is the great unanswered prayer of Jesus, where Jesus prays for his church that they might be uh, united, that we might be uh, one. And he says, uh, he uses the illustration, he says, imagine uh, you're a father and you're about to go on a great journey. You're going to leave your children. You're not going to see them for ages. What, what would you do? Well, you, you gather them together. You get them all in the same room and you pray for them. And you know you're not going to see them for ages. So you, you pray for them and you pour your, pour your heart into your prayers as you pray for them. And you pray for them for the most important thing for them. Uh, that they'll be protected and they'll be looked after and God will take care of them and, and bless them. And you pour your soul into that prayer. And that's what Jesus is doing in this prayer. He's, he's pouring out his soul. And what is his prayer? Not that the church be taken out of the world, but remain in the world as a witness, that they be protected, we be protected from the evil one, and that we be one, that we be united, that we be one in purpose. So unity is important because Jesus prays for it, and it's important too because our witness is dependent upon it. Upon it. Jesus prays that the church might be one, that the world might know. And that's what uh, Newbegin felt so uh, keenly. I read this recently. Uh, I, this is a quote. The real secret of fruitful and effective mission in the world is the quality of our community. Exceptional character in individuals cannot prove the reality of Christianity. Atheism, as well as many other religions, can produce individual heroes of unusual moral greatness. You think about it, each, each faith tradition has its own, own heroes, uh, people who, who uh, uh, others look up to and uh, aspire to be like. But then the quote goes on. What atheism and other religions cannot produce is the kind of loving community that the gospel produces. In fact, Jesus states that our deep unity is the way the world will know that the Father sent him and has loved us even as the Father has loved him. Jesus says that the main way people will believe that Christians have found the love of God is by seeing the quality of their life together in community. When you come to Christ, when you discover him, uh, you have peace with God. And you also have peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a a gift, a gift uh, given to us. That the world might believe. Uh, And only the good news of Jesus can produce this kind of community. In Ephesians, Paul writes of one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism. 
He was writing to a church made up of uh, Jews and of Gentiles and men and women and uh, rich people and poor people and masters and servants of all different backgrounds. Uh, That group of people coming together was unheard of in the ancient world. And yet here they are in one place uh, celebrating one meal together, a communion meal, uh, serving one Lord together. Only Christ and the gospel of Christ can bring uh, that unity. That's one of the great things about St. Giles. We have members of all the different political parties here. There are people who live in uh, quite small houses and people who live in uh, great big houses. Uh, That we've got um, families and we've got single people, we've got older people, we've got younger people. Uh, We've got every uh, shade and stripe. We really do represent West Bridgeford and Colic. And Carlton and the other areas where people uh, come from. Only Christ brings together people with different politics, different views, uh, different wealth, different status, different um, employment situation. Only Christ brings those together. If it's not just to listen to the same kind of music or go to the same concert or support the same uh, football team. That's three reasons why unity is important. Here's uh, three features of this unity. The first is this, it's anchored in truth. Time again in this prayer, Jesus uh, talks about truth or prays about truth. Uh, Verse 6, he prays uh, for the disciples, those who have obeyed your word. Verse 8, he prays to them as, um, I gave them the words you gave me and they have accepted them. Verse 17, Again, praying for the disciples, praying for us. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, sometimes unity and truth are, are posited as kind of, kind of opposites. Or as though they're on uh, different poles, different um, ex- extremes. I've heard uh, people say, uh, unity draws people together, uh, but truth divides. Uh, Not true. Jesus prays about truth and himself being the truth as something which brings uh, people together. Uh, Doctrine matters. Our teaching matters. Our truth uh, matters. There are other things we can uh, differ on, other things that can be a matter of taste, uh, the kind of songs we like to sing, our approach to, to liturgy, how we kind of organise our churches. Um, but we can't differ on truth. We can't differ on the essentials. We're not just people who gather together who happen to like uh, going to church. But if we're to be disciples, we're to be people who are uh, obedient to his word. This unity is anchored in truth. Uh, Truth holds us together. The truth of his word, as we receive his word and uh, gather around his word, uh, brings us uh, closer together. Those who abandon the truth or reject the truth or who uh, wander off into error um, uh, soon lead us um, into division. The church will soon uh, fracture and splinter Uh, and just to groups with different views and different uh, parties. 
So Jesus prays that the, the church will be made holy through um, his word, will be united um, in the truth. Um, the second thing about this unity is it's a spiritual unity. It's not just an organisational unity. Nope. I left it at home. Probably best place for it. Um, in my study, I thought I brought it, but I didn't, um, I have a file, and it's called the Clergy Handbook, and it's a file that's given to every vicar when you start up uh, in your, in your uh, job, and it's a big uh, uh, blue uh, folder, and it's got the terms and conditions of your work, it's got everything about the diocese, it's, it covers stuff about housing and holidays and remuneration and uh, child protection and the legal laws of the church and how we're to relate to the diocese and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and it's important because it, it kind of grounds us and it grounds me and it keeps, keeps us you know, functioning. It, it, it kind of organises us. Um, but that's not the deepest unity that I share with other uh, clergy and with the bishop and other uh, parts of the church. The deepest unity we have is not based on rules or uh, HR policies or memorandums of agreement. The great unity that we have is the unity that we share in Christ. As I said, one Lord, one faith, uh, one baptism. Other things can be frameworks that help us uh, to live uh, together, but they don't produce uh, the unity that we're looking for. Um, Whenever unity is talked about in the New Testament, it's not talked about as something that we organise, or as something that we uh, uh, need to kind of work up. Rather, it's talked about as something that we maintain. And the kind of thinking behind that is, if, if you've become a Christian, you are then united to everybody else who is a Christian. You're part of that Christian uh, family together. So you need to maintain those bonds. You need to look after those bonds. You need to uh, maintain that, that unity. Uh, but you don't create it. You don't invent it. You don't have to work it up. Rather, you just have to uh, dwell within it and share it. So you need to not do anything which will harm it or uh, destroy it or, or tear it uh, apart. And when uh, the Bible talks about things like um, gossip or slander or unfaithfulness, it describes those as things which uh, destroy unity and, and pull the church apart. The unity we share is a spiritual uh, unity. And thirdly and finally, um, it's a source of our strength. Jesus said, didn't he, that a house that's divided amongst itself cannot stand. It will just fall like a pack of cars or or a sandcastle when the tide uh, comes in. The unity that we share is the source of our strength. The Roman army was the greatest uh, fighting force of the ancient world. And its strength was founded upon its discipline and its organisation. As you know, the the army had several formations that they would uh, use in different uh, situations. Uh, There was the tortoise, where the Roman soldiers would link together their shields, uh, shields at the front, shields on the top, shields at the sides, and form a square. 
and no, no spear could penetrate it, no arrow could break through. They were kind of almost indestructible when they formed uh, that tortoise and they would slowly move forward, uh, united together. Sometimes they would form a wedge, kind of triangle formation. They'd uh, rush at the opposing lines and the front of the spear would break through the opposition lines and the, the strength of the soldiers would, would follow in uh, behind. Another formation they had, they would have a weak centre. So they'd present a united front. And then when they were attacked by another army, they would slowly give ground in the middle. And the enemy would push on and push on, unaware that they were slowly being surrounded. And they'd be enveloped as the centre just slowly gave ground. They were organised. They were united. They knew what they were doing. In 55 BC, Julius Caesar uh, conquered Western Europe with 50,000 men. Conquered uh, armies ten times the size because his men were united. But the legions didn't always win. They suffered their greatest defeat in AD 6 in Teutoburg uh, Forest. Uh, Three legions were travelling together traveling uh, through uh, what we know of as, as Western Germany. And they came to this great forest, and they were traveling uh, through the forest. They were being led by uh, a guide, a man called Arminius, not the theologian Arminius, but another one. Clergy joke. And um, as, they're, as they're traveling through uh, the, the, the forest, uh, Arminius leads them uh, down a little path, a little pathway, a narrow path. And they can only travel two or three abreast. And so the line gets strung out and gets thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. Until the end, these three legions are walking almost in single file in a line 10 miles long. And at that moment, the signal is given and uh, the German tribes attack from the sides and ambush them. And no longer can the Romans function as a unit, no longer can they be united. They have to fight every man for himself. And they're absolutely slaughtered. They're completely uh, decimated. Uh, Very, very few uh, survivors. Um, The numbers of those legions, the three legions, were never never used again. No legion was ever uh, given that number. It was the greatest defeat uh, in Rome's history. Why? Because they became strung out. Uh, They became separated from one another. Uh, They were no longer bound uh, tightly together. It's a snowflake uh, illustration. Individually, uh, singly, uh, we're weak, we're fragile, we're vulnerable. But together, we're united. Our unity is our strength. Jesus wanted us to remember this. And so he uh, gives the church a gift. And it's the gift of a meal. It's, It's communion. What does communion mean? Well, communion means unity. It means being united. It means being a community um, together. Um, you can't celebrate communion on your own if you're, a, if you're a priest. It's something you have to do with other people. It's a, a meal which grounds us in who Jesus is, as we remember his death, his sacrifice, his resurrection. Remember that he poured out himself for us. We remember that he's the, the bread of life. But it's something that we do together as a community because it speaks of the unity that we share, the communion that we are together. 
So this morning we're going to celebrate uh, this meal together. We're going to do it in a slightly different way. I think we've done it uh, a couple of times uh, before. Uh, But to sort of emphasise and point up this uh, this fact that we are a body uh, together, we're going to receive communion um, in our seats. And rather than come forward and and stand in a line and receive from the front, I'm going to invite those who are assisting to come and uh, first of all take the bread. And then just as we, uh, in the same way as we take up uh, our offertory, they're going to pass the bread or give the bread to people on the ends of the lines and invite you to pass the bread um, along the line. We've got some bread rolls today. And as they did that, what I suggest is you just you take the plate, and if you receive, you just break off a piece of the bread, receive it yourself, and then just pass the bread uh, to the person next to you, and just say the words, the bread of, the bread of life, or the body of Christ, whatever feels um, natural. And if you don't receive, that's fine, just take the plate and just pass it uh, to the person next to you with the same uh, words. And then we're going to pass uh, the wine along the same way. And again, just pass the wine along to the person uh, next to you. Just say the words, uh, the, the blood of Christ. Or words similar to that. And pass it on by. I have a, 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 a napkin that we'll pass on with those. And yeah, if you don't receive, don't be embarrassed. Uh, just pass it on by. We might need to receive uh, to uh, refill the wine as we go. That's fine. If it runs out, just bring it to the front and I'll, I'll, fill, up, uh, I'll fill up the cups. And as we do that, the band are going to lead us in some songs. The songs are all on the song sheet. And so after you've received, you might like to pray and then just join in, uh, join in the singing together. We do this quite informally and, uh, and, and share together in this way. Um, we're going to prepare for this by singing how deep uh, the Father's love for us. So let's stand. Uh, we'll sing together and the, the band will take their place. <laughs>